the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. This is where we mash up the best of the week. We take our interviews from Tuesday and Thursday, what those episodes were. We take those highlights. We put them together all here in one convenient place for your listening pleasure. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy what we've put together here for you guys. And if you want to go back and listen to these interviews in their entirety, you can do that right here where you're listening as it is. Um, so anywhere you guys are listening to podcasts, you can go back and find those full length interviews. But otherwise we've, uh, we've done a little bit of heavy lifting for you and gave you guys some of the highlights from what, from what you want to hear. But you know, we're so lucky with all the amazing guests that we have on oral sessions that I'm sure if you're fans of these people, you're going to want to go back and hear more of their story here, more of who these people are and what makes them tick and what has led to their success, all that fun stuff. Um, I love what I get to do here and I love getting to chat with all these interesting and fascinating people. It's a hell of a time. And yeah, now we just get to do a little best stuff here on the weekend. So here we go. Let's get into it. Here's the best stuff from this week on Oral Sessions. You and I only got to work together for a brief period of time, but when you came back and you were in WWE and you guys were doing the angle with Mike and they're calling him Mike Kanellis and doing the pregnancy angle and all of that, I mean, you really took that situation and made the most of it. What is like your recollection of that um, that storyline that they, they they had you guys doing? Paul Heyman was the one that started the storyline with us. And I always trusted him and I trusted vision. And um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, I got cut short. But I knew that if it was able to grow and to last, we'd really be able to run with it. I wanted that payoff for Mike at the end. Unfortunately, he didn't get it. What was that payoff supposed to be? Him turning on me at the very end and becoming this big baby face to have that baby face run and to talk about his addiction struggles and coming back from addiction. And then I would come back from my maternity leave. And then we could have that face to face at the end of all of that. But he was supposed to turn on me and the royal bitch I was at the time. And I was really looking forward to it because it was a great out. He turned on me. I leave. Peace out, home slice. I'm going to go get real big and pregnant and then I'll come back. But Again, we had really fun moments and I can say I was the first pregnant champ. So that's fun. Yes. I mean, always nice to have a little history accolade, right? Just tag that on there because that will be yours forever. Done and done. (laughs) It's so weird because like I'll be signing that title now for the rest of my life. I'll be 80 years old. 24-7 champ, baby. First pregnant (laughs) champ. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. My babies are now having grandbabies, you know, like so weird. What about your guys' entrance music when you guys were coming out? Because I was definitely getting all sorts of heat. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, so when we were you know, starting to make the plans to come back, I had called William Corgan and was like, you know, what do you think our entrance music should be? And he right out the bat was like, oh, my gosh, it has to be a love ballad. And I was like, kind of iffy about it. But he called it. He totally called it of what it should be. And I love that song. I wish I could take it with me. Talk to me about working with Mike. You guys have worked together for some time. You've done so many different things together. Why does that working relationship work so well between the two of you? Because he always compliments me and I always criticize him. (laughs) 
Perfect. <laughs> no, I mean, we know each other's buttons and we know not to push them. And we're best friends. I mean, first and foremost, that's what we are. I, I don't know what would happen. Like for some reason we couldn't be together or whatever. I would lose my best friend too. And I enjoy his company. He's just fun to hang out with. And he knows that sometimes I just need someone to listen. And he's really, really good at it. He also knows that he needs a kick in the butt sometimes. And that's what I do. And so it's this nice working relationship. We don't take offense to work stuff at home. That's work. Okay. That's, that's great. And I, I love wrestling. I love the wrestling industry. But at the end of the day, how many years of my life is that going to be in comparison to how many years am I going to live? And um, I still want to have a marriage whenever I decide to retire. Yeah, it would be nice. Again, I love wrestling. I do. But at a certain point, nobody wants to see me in tight clothes anymore. And at some point, you know, it's going to have to be passed along to someone else. And so, yeah, I still want a marriage after that. And so we always try and remember to take care of our marriage first. You guys have been very open about Mike's addictions. I mean, we did an interview in WWE years ago talking about that. How has that journey been for you? I mean, you know, we've, we've, I've talked to Mike and, and had that conversation with him when we did that interview, but with you being his spouse, what is that like for you being on that journey? The first part of his recovery, I shut off. Like I was just like, okay, we are going to get you through this and you're going to live and we're not going to lose our jobs. And, you know, so it was a lot of that. Plus I was pregnant. It all happened at once. That's right. So he told me he had this painkiller addiction. And then two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. I was like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> come on, I so I had to really shut my brain and my emotions down completely and just like power through. But I think now is actually the first time that I've realized what effect his addiction and his recovery had on me. And so that's something like that's part of the reason why I'm so like so dedicated to tagging in and to the mental health initiative is because you don't know when those things are going to creep up on you. Like all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I need to deal with me now. Like, all right, what did this mean for my life and my career? Because I spent four years of my life taking care of an addict and I didn't even realize I was taking care of an addict. And those are some of the, you know, the, the best years of my life. As people like to say, I don't think that they were, but you know, I was early thirties at that point. And then, then it was like baby and then baby. And I didn't really think about me. And so now I am. And it's weird how that hits you. Yeah. I, I bet. I mean, like you said, for it to come in waves like that, cause you, you, I feel like as the woman as well, and I'm just kind of putting on like my own hat, if I were in a situation like this, but like we can be very like, let's take care of everybody else except for me. I will put my head down and we're going to just get through this any way that we can. And then, yeah, once you kind of come up for air again and take a look around, it's like, holy shit, how did this affect me? It's like you you go on a trip with all the kids and you bring everything for them. And then you're like, oh, shit, I don't even have any underwear. And that, I think, happened for many years. And so now I'm dealing with it. But it helps me to work. It helps me to, you know, start telling the story of like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, after 
helping someone with their own addictions, their own recovery, their own mental health, it's okay to now start focusing on yourself and to take care of yourself. And so I've been trying to do more and more of that. Yeah. What does that look like for you, taking care of yourself and prioritizing yourself? Getting out of my house. Um, I was so afraid of, you know, leaving my kids with anybody for the longest time. And I was so afraid of not taking care of me. And so recently I've started planning trips to like go to Florida and do some photo shoots and also spend a couple of days on the beach or go to the city and get a massage, you know, stuff like that, where I can just turn everything else off and focus on me. And yeah, I'm reconnecting with people too, reconnecting with friends. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the the tag me in initiative and it's so important to have these conversations and keep talking about these situations in our mental health and what is going on with everybody. I don't want to say especially in the world of wrestling, but I do think it is important for these wrestlers and people that are these larger than life personalities to show those vulnerabilities and show who you are as human beings. What is the status of your mental health right now? I'm the happiest I've ever been. I think it's weird because the other day I was um, driving in the car and I was like, I'm really happy. Like my kids are to a place where they aren't screaming every two seconds. Like it's every you know five at this point and they're in a really good place. They like their daycare. They like their routine. Um, my husband's doing really well. Like he's starting to get the accolades he deserves and He's totally switched up his wrestling. And so now he's you know, doing the wrestling he wants to do. And so he's happy. And so I'm actually able to like self-reflect at this point because everybody else is taken care of. So I'm really happy. I feel like for the first time I'm doing the job that I was meant to do. I fought for this job for a long time. I asked for it in WWE the last time I was there. I was told no. And this is the job that I wanted. I wanted the job of producing female talent, producing a division, really starting to tell their stories. So for me, that's so fulfilling that, yeah, I'm the happiest I've ever been. (laughs) What a great answer. I don't know if that makes me sound terrible, but like I am. Yeah. You're, you're doing the thing that you want to do. And I mean, you know, even though there's other you know, there's other shit that's going on in the world, but that doesn't take away from like the years and years of work that you have been putting yourself in to now finally be able to be in a position to be in the position that you want to be in. Like that deserves a lot of recognition because it it is a lot of work and it's not that thing that just comes overnight. You can't just knock on someone's door and go, this is a thing that I want to do because it just doesn't work like that. So to be able to have finally the right people to support you and back you up and see the value that you're bringing to this job is awesome. And yeah, it's all those years of work that have put you in that spot. It's very, very cool. Thank you. Um, It's like that overnight success thing, like the myth of overnight success. Exactly. 17 years of, of that, of taking a little bit and learning from everyone and putting it all together. And I went to college for um, event management too. So like that helps with one piece of it, the production aspect of it. And then, you know, the years and years of uh, wrestling and being terrible wrestler, but wrestling, you know, that helps with that part of it. It's all of those things over those 17 years um, that I feel like got me here, but it's a good place to be. Doing the Tag Me In um, initiative was something that is important to you. 
And, you know, again, you've been able to see so many things, the ups and downs of everything in the wrestling world. Why do you think it's so important now for the wrestling community to really be involved in the mental health space? Initially, when I started connecting with all the um, like the core group that came together for Tag Me In, it was after Ashley Massaro passed away. And that's when we all started reaching out to each other. I was like, hey, are you okay? Like, uh, do you need anything? Can I support you in some way? And because of that, many of us still talked after that. Then when Daphne passed, we got to do something. You know, she brought us all together. And I didn't know Daphne well. But the people that did, they loved her. My partner that helps me with the women's division, Bobby Cruz, was very close to her. Seeing him in agony like that. I mean, wrestlers, they have so many people that care for them, but they can't always see it. And sometimes it takes us all coming together and saying, yes, it's okay to express your feelings or to see someone else do it. It helps. It helps to come together as a community. Because as you said, we're larger than life characters. So how could you have some deep, dark secret? How could you have, you know, a mental health problem? How could you be sad? You have so much, you know, that's the opinion. But in reality, that part of it, the celebrity part of it sometimes can feed into the mental health aspect of it. The fear of losing it or the fear of, am I not going to live up to these expectations? And I know for me, that still happens. That still creeps in. It's like, am I living up to the hype to see other people talking about it? I know for me, just seeing Chris Jericho talk about it, someone like that, I, that I grew up watching, it affected me in a real way. So that's why it's so important to me. And that's why I think it's so important to the wrestling community, not just the wrestlers, but the fans that watch too. Because maybe this will open it up to them to start talking about it. I hope that this continues to grow. I hope that we can do more for people that have mental health issues. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I'm happy that um, the conversation has at least, not that it's just started, but that it's more out there, making it more of a prevalent conversation. Well, look, I mean, I've been able to take up a bunch of your time today and I really appreciate it. But the last thing I wanted to ask you, um, just because you've done it all, you've done it all. And you just said you're in the best spot um, that you could possibly be. What else do you want to do? What else is on your bucket list? I feel like you are a person that has a vision and you've got ideas for things that you want to do. What else is left on there? We're talking consistently about unity in the wrestling industry right now. And we've seen so much crossover between different companies. And we've seen, you know, that everybody is friendly and everybody does want to work together. I'd like to see more of that. And I'd like to see a show that was based on that. And I don't know how it gets done, but I know. You just call it the forbidden door. (laughs) (laughs) I would like a festival that is based on the idea of unity and just all coming together and just make it a huge party of wrestlers and music and atmosphere and just celebrate wrestling. Uh, I'd like to see the Ring of Honor Women's Division work more with other companies. I was just on a call with Gail and Mickey talking about Tag Me In and we were all talking like, how can we work together more? And so we're going to consistently try and figure out those ideas of working together more. So I I think it's that. And I also, I'm still a crusader for getting a union at some point. And now everybody's going to take that and go, you can't do that. 
unions can have levels. And I truly believe that. And I truly believe that every company does not need to be a part of it in order for it to work for everyone. And I think that, you know, to have that, that insurance and that assurance that we're all being taken care of would be nice. I think it's necessary at some point. Again, it's not across the board. It's just the idea of having those practices in place. Guys, make sure you're checking out all things that Maria Canals is working on because this chick, she's going places, believe it or not. She's doing it all. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Give me a little background history on the Ghost Brothers. It's funny because uh, me and Jawan were actually roommates back in the day. We were in, uh, graduated from Clark Atlanta University together. So right after college, we were living together at the time. We were both working in television behind the scenes doing wardrobe. And I remember just waking up one night in the middle of the night and one of the Ghost Hunter shows was on television. I don't even know which one it was because I wasn't really watching them back then. But I just realized that I never see any representation of myself on any of these shows when I'm just flipping through the channels. So I woke up in the middle of this kick Jawan's door in. It's like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, we need to hunt ghosts. <laughs> Immediately, I'm like, get out. Like, I'm like, there's no way you're sober at this hour telling me these claims. Even just like the intro for Ghost Brothers, you're like, it's all white people on these shows. What the hell? Was it that more so than like your love of the paranormal? We didn't have a love of the paranormal. We didn't know the paranormal was real. We didn't know any of that. You got to understand, like our background with like the paranormal was we used to go to church. Like we didn't do Halloween. We had Halloween night. Don't say used to go to church. (laughs) Still go to church. My bad, my bad. We lived in church. (laughs) Marcus will tell you, like the only ghost we dealt with was the Holy Ghost. You know what I mean? Like, so that was our uh, intro to paranormal. Like that was our whole thing for spirituality. So how did you pitch a show of like being like, hey, we don't really know about the paranormal, but we want to get into it. And more so, we need to have this representation in the paranormal world. We're going to be completely honest with you. When we first had the idea, we went online to see if we could find any black ghost hunters. Literally, we went all over the Internet and we could not find nobody. There were no. Really? Zero. We even went to like all the different paranormal groups online. Hey, have you seen a black guy? (laughs) And everybody was just like, no. So we shot our own pilot. We went and tried to investigate, found a cameraman off Craigslist for $63. (laughs) Hell yes. I love this. Yeah, We shot what we thought was us trying to speak to some spirits and we put it on YouTube. And literally we took a couple of meetings. No one was interested in the idea. And then like five years later, we get a random email. I was driving for Uber at the time. I had a passenger in the back seat at the time. I checked my email and it's a company saying that they saw our clip and that they were looking for black ghost hunters. And we were the only people that they could find. (laughs) And that a television network was interested in doing a show centered around black ghost hunters. Would we be interested? And we told them straight out the gate. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) We are not ghost hunters. And if we're going to do a show like this, you need to let people know that we are learning this stuff along the way. I feel like that's really biting a lot off because, I mean, delving into like the paranormal world, like that's a whole like there's just so much to get into there. And for you guys to be like learning that on camera, that's a tall order. Yeah, it's layered for sure. How do you get like the rest of your like crew? Did you find more people on Craigslist to like flush out the rest of the crew? 
nah, we just needed one more person. And that was Marcus. <laughs> yeah, who's not here today, by the way, but it's okay. Here in spirit. What was like your first experience of of getting into the paranormal world? Like the first time that you feel like you like had contact with a ghost or a spirit? It's funny. It actually happened uh, as a child. And that's what kind of led me to believe like, you know, as an adult, maybe there is something to this. But I was visiting my grandmother. I was seven years old. She stays in a small town called McCamey, Texas in West Texas, literally a town where everybody knows everybody. And I was visiting one summer and uh, I had an older cousin and her and her friend her friend was dating a guy. He uh, ended up getting into a domestic dispute with her. He got a gun. He shot himself and shot her. She survived. He passed away. Now, this is my cousin's best friend. So everybody knew everybody involved in this situation. So my grandmother decided to go view the body of the young man. So her and her best friend took me to this funeral home to view this body. Mind you, I'm seven years old. I remember walking into the sanctuary and literally there was a casket. And he was laying there. He had a light gray suit, white shirt, and a skinny black tie. But my grandmother's friend asked me at that time, like, have I ever touched a dead body before? I'm seven. Obviously not. This lady grabbed my hand and put it on the chest (laughs) of this dead body in this casket. Hand to God. I remember screaming. That's fucking traumatizing. I literally left. And that night when I was sleeping on the couch, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and standing there in front of me was that same young man with the light gray suit, white shirt and a skinny black tie. And that was my first time ever seeing something that I couldn't explain. Like I literally just saw this man hours before dead in the casket. Why are you standing here now being an adult and learning through Ghost Brothers? I understand what an attachment is. (laughs) And like, I feel like by me touching him, He attached to me in some kind of way, maybe through the fear I had or the emotions, the energy I was putting out. But yeah, that shit was crazy as hell. It's like he imprinted on you. My first ghost experience, uh, it took place in a cemetery in a small town in Mississippi. It was down by the coast. And so I was probably like 10, 12, somewhere around there. And I decided to play like truth or dare with the kids in the neighborhood. Like some were family members, some were just other kids. But we used to dare each other to run through this graveyard. It's no lights. It's like one road and the rest is just all field and graves. And so I take off through this graveyard. And as I'm running, I feel the presence of something behind me. Like I didn't think any of my friends were running. So I turned around and I don't see anybody. And I'm like, okay. So I try to run faster. And I'm like, I don't know if I can outrun a ghost. Like, is that something? Is that a thing? Being able to outrun a ghost? I don't know. But like I'm running and I just feel this presence getting heavier and heavier. I keep turning around, but it's like every time I turn around, it's like that presence is over my shoulder. Like to this day, I just couldn't explain what that energy was that I was feeling as I was running. It was like that was my first encounter to like something being out there that I couldn't explain. So since those moments that both of you had, did you always stay as believers of ghosts? It's tricky, man. And and I'm glad that I grew up and became an adult and be able to think for myself because growing up in the church, it was always you don't acknowledge like Juan said and Marcus said, you don't acknowledge things like that. But as an adult, that doesn't make sense because you can't believe in angels. You know what I mean? And and all of this, but not believe in that. And as a child, you can't question that because you're a child. You know what I mean? But then as an adult, you start wondering, like, okay. I believe in angels. I believe in God. I believe in the devil. I believe in demons. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, 
what about the idea of a ghost or a spirit being here is so far fetched to me. And that's why I feel like people can really believe our show because we tell people all the time, literally a few years ago, we were just like y'all sitting at the house <laughs> on the couch. Yeah, like, yeah. Is this some bullshit or is this real? <laughs> and it's real. <laughs> it's a bullshit, but it's real. To piggyback on that, it's kind of like, I don't know if like I was acknowledging those experiences as like paranormal when I was younger. I was just like, I didn't know how to identify them, right? So now that I'm actually in the field, you look at it and you're like, that's definitely a paranormal occurrence. And I also think that now I've been doing investigations, I've become a lot more susceptible to those occurrences. Like I'm a lot more open. I'm a lot more sensitive. Like I think that like you kind of start adopting this empathic ability, if you will, the more and more that you kind of involve yourself with it. Oh God, that stresses me out. Once you turn it on, you really can't turn it off. It's so true. And the reason why I say that is because I'm about to move. I've been talking about this on the podcast, but I'm about to move to Cincinnati to a very old house. And I am a believer in ghosts. I sir, I always have been, you know, having experiences as a child or like even as an adult feeling like, ooh, maybe there's like something happening here. Something doesn't feel right. I can feel that something's happening. But I've not felt that way in quite some time. I don't feel like that in the house I live in now. Everything is good and fine. But now I feel like I'm opening that can of worms. I'm having all these conversations with guys like you talking about different spirits all through Halloween and whatnot. And now I'm afraid that I'm like opening myself up to it. I'm going to move into this house and it's going to be haunted as all hell. And I'm going to have to move again. Enlighten me on this because all I can think to do is walk around with some sage and hope for the best. What do you suggest to do? It's a great start. That or like, do I have to have like a priest come to the house and some father and holy water the place? What do you do? Man, I tell people all the time, you gotta just pray. You gotta know prayer. Sounds like eh, what? But listen, we pray before we go into any location, before we come out of any location. We make sure we tell any spirits to stay and let them know they're not welcome to follow us. Have you ever had an experience where you thought that you did get followed? To answer your first question, I think you should just set your intentions. When you move in, I think that's one of those things where like you can really establish that boundary uh, uh, about like letting the spirit, like acknowledging yourself and this being your place and like you don't want the spirits to be there um, and bother you in, in whatever sense. But have I ever had a spirit follow me? You know, that's a touchy situation because let Dalen tell it like there's a there's a spirit that I encountered on one of our episodes in, in Jamaica. It was the Rose Hall episode. And I got into a um, I guess you can call it a, an entanglement. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. I use myself as a human trigger object to try to make contact with the spirit of Annie. She was the, the witch that was haunting and owned the property of the Rose Hall. And in that, I made contact with her um, servant that was a slave named Taiku, who she used to have interactions with. Ever since then, you know, strange things started happening around my place or my old place. I, I've moved since then. And one of those things was uh, I loaned out a tuxedo to a friend of mine and they told me that the tuxedo was haunted. They were like, yo, I need you to come take this tux because like ever since I've had it, Things in my home have started acting weird. I'm like, what do you mean things in your home start acting weird? Like lights are turning on and doors are shutting. And I think it's your tux. I think your tux is haunted. You got to get it out of here. I was like, oh, all right. That was the first time I ever heard that. And then another thing that happened was I came home one day and my patio door was shattered from the inside. And I stayed on the fifth floor. 
And like, there was no disturbance on the inside of my apartment that like, it was like somebody tried to break it in or anything like that. And there was just like no explanation to why this glass was shattered and it didn't fall. It was just like the, the pain was just cracked. And like, I don't know how to define what happened. Something, someone was being petty and they're getting aggressive. Oh my God. That's really horrifying. And did you do anything to like clear that up or you, you don't live there anymore? So is it better now that you moved? I called the police. I called the property manager and they didn't figure it out. They just fixed my, they just fixed my glass. And honestly, probably six months later, I was gone. They don't, they don't know how to handle that. Holy crap. No, you need Dan Aykroyd for that one. Like that's. I need a proton pack. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you guys start dabbling in this world of paranormal, stepping into this world, not really knowing per se what you're getting into. Where do you start? Like what's the equipment that you buy? How do you weed out what's bullshit and what's not? So just to be completely honest and transparent, we all know that have a TV show, you have to have people filming the TV show, right? So there's always a few people around somewhere when you're filming. And I remember our first couple of locations, they kept trying to get us to use equipment. And we didn't know what any of this stuff was, EMF detector, a K2 meter, a SLS camera, a REM pod, all of this stuff that we use all the time now, we had never heard of. So you should just imagine three black guys sitting up here arguing <laughs> with these people of like, I'm not using none of this stuff. I don't know what none of this crazy sounds mean. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like it was like this big showdown. <laughs> but finally, we started introducing piece by piece, getting comfortable with it. That's why I enjoy the Ghost Brothers, because I feel like we keep it real, man. <laughs> like we didn't know what none of that stuff was at the beginning. And it is appreciated because like as a fan of, you know, so many different ghost shows and I, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I lean into it and I'm like, no way. But then other times I'm like, I don't know about this. But yeah, I mean, when you know that the, there's like an authenticity through the hosts and you guys are kind of dropping that guard and letting people know what's bullshit and what's not, I feel like that really brings people into like, even though there's like, there's still like that comedy element with what you guys are doing, because it's fun and still lighthearted. But then, you know, at the core of everything, it's still all of the ghosts and paranormal. So I think it kind of makes the, the viewer believe it more. And people always ask about the comedy element. Like, was it intentional? And it really wasn't. I just tell people all the time, when you watch most shows, even when you're watching like your real housewives of whatever city that you love so much, these are forced relationships. These are casting directors that pick a group of people and put them in situations to see how they react. We are genuinely best friends of like 20 plus years. You know what I mean? So that's where the humor comes from. Like if you were kidnapped with your best friend, somebody would still probably <laughs> crack a joke <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my gosh. I mean, it is, it's a really fun show to watch. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I love watching any kind of ghost show, but it fascinates me for you guys to just like delve into this world and figure things out. And yeah, figuring out the equipment, putting yourselves in these situations, were there situations that you found yourself in that you did not want to be in that you felt like maybe we're in over our heads and this shit's real and we're going to be haunted for the rest of our lives? Yeah. I mean, since we're talking about Cincinnati, that's where you're moving. Uh, that's oh, probably God. one of the craziest places we've ever been is the house. No! Yeah. That wasn't Cincinnati, though. Cleveland. That, was Cleveland. that was Cleveland. Oh, good. Cleveland's four hours away. Screw Cleveland. Y'all are like neighbors. Ish, yeah. Y'all are close. <laughs> They're close. Definitely experienced uh, some tension at the House of Wills. That was the first episode where we all didn't go in 
for the initial investigation just because the the energy surrounding that place um, Marcus didn't want to didn't want to take part in. So to give you some backstory, we're talking about the House of Wills. It was built as a Masonic lodge to harness all energy that came in and out. So like it built with like dome like features oh, to kind of cultivate that energy. Then it was transitioned to Cleveland's largest funeral home during the civil rights time. And then now it's owned and operated by the leader of the satanic movement. He has the largest uh, collection of like antichrist artifacts and artwork. It's like the leader of the satanic church. That shit's in Cleveland. It's in Cleveland. That's next to Cincinnati. Thanks guys. It's about four hours. But uh, that was probably the, the craziest location. Scariest, frightening, most like unprepared location we've ever encountered. Okay, what do you guys have coming up? What can we look forward to with more Ghost Brothers? Where are we going? What are we doing? What are the haunts? What are the spots? We got a new season of Fright Club coming. We have our podcast that's airing right now every Thursday, Urban Legends with the Ghost Brothers. It can be found on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts at, you can get Urban Legends with the Ghost Brothers. All of our shows and new shows will be airing on Discovery Plus, so that's coming Discovery Plus is my new favorite spot, man. They've got it all. I love Discovery Plus. I'm obsessed. You can actually binge watch all of our shows on Discovery Plus right now. So you can catch Ghost Brothers first season, Ghost Brothers second season. You can catch Ghost Brothers Haunted House Guests. You can catch the Fright Club. You can catch Ghost Brothers Lights Out. And then now you have the ability to hear us on our new podcast with Urban Legends. Okay, so when I move, if my house is haunted, can you guys come over? Of course. And we will bring you pancakes. Did we tell you that we're actually launching our own pancake and waffle line in the next couple of weeks? Tell me about it. It's called the Bros Gourmet. And we have a holiday pumpkin spice pancake and waffle mix that is launching in like two weeks. Let's go. People always ask, like, how did y'all get into like pancakes and waffles? Like, literally, we've been all over this country investigating. And every time we get out on an investigation, it's always like four, five, six o'clock in the morning. So we always go get breakfast. So we've had pancakes and waffles literally every state <laughs> that you can think of. Ooh, what's number one for you guys when you know you're somewhere and there's whether it's a chain or like a mom pop spot? Where's your place you go? I'm ashamed to tell you my favorite, the Waffle House. And it's only because I live in Atlanta and the Waffle House is like a staple. Have you ever been to the Waffle House? Are you familiar with the Waffle House? Yeah, I've actually, I mean, I say that as if like, yes, of course, I know I'm from Canada. um, So I I have had Waffle House. So I mean, I got like Huddle House. Which one? You got Huddle House? Y'all don't have Waffle House. What y'all got? Uh, I can't even think of the name. I've not lived in Canada in a while. And now I've not, I've not even been to this restaurant for so long. So I'm drawing a blank on it. But don't worry, we're going to open up Great. a Rose Gourmet oh, wait, in Canada. It. We're going to service all of your waffle and pancake needs. Hell yeah. <laughs> I like that you guys are just like dabbling in all of these things. You're like, I'm going to get into ghosts. I'm going to get into the pancake business. Hell yeah. Okay, great. Well, I mean, I have a cookbook, so I also like to throw down in the kitchen. So maybe we can do a little collab. We'll put some things together. We'll conjure up some spirits and call it a day. We will. I love it. We could do a brunch episode where we're doing some little pancakes and waffles with some spirits. Yes, mimosas and ghouls. I'm in. I love that. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a lot of fun uh, getting to pick your brain and looking forward to the launch of your pancakes and waffles and all things to do with the Ghost Brothers. For sure. Thank you. 
Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on this special edition of the Best of for Oral Sessions. We just mash up the best from the week, let you guys get the little highlights. You can go back and listen to the full-length episodes should you choose to do so. I highly recommend it because there's some good stuff in there. It's really hard to cut these down because these chats can be so great. We, we, we really do have the best guests come on here and hang out. And uh, I love being able to do that here on the show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. You can go back and listen to more of the episodes. You can also watch these interviews on our YouTube page. You can just search Renee Paquette, search for the volume network, and you'll be able to find all the things. We've got the short clips. We've got the full length interviews. Find them all in there. Like, subscribe, share, turn on the notifications, all that good stuff. We'll see you guys next time on Oral Sessions. Oral Sessions.